listen, I'm, I'm a, I'm a African American guy who is very proud to be a descendant of slaves because I always say that like, in order for me to be here, someone, someone did it for me. Someone loved harder. Someone fought harder. Someone stayed the course. Someone stayed alive under unimaginable rigors that were set upon them in this world. So who am I to say, I can't do it, or I can't be it, or I can't move through something? That's the thing that I've explored even in my own life is knowing my own history and knowing the history of, of where I come from, because I think that's essentially an American problem. We don't know our, ourselves. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where I talk with people who want to live a meaningful life, people who give a damn. Thank you so much for being here. I truly hope this conversation gives you hope and pushes you to give more dams than ever before. Since the beginning of this podcast, we have done our best to highlight all kinds of incredible humans, including black and brown activists, professors, actors, writers, entrepreneurs, and so on. And during this Black History Month, we are thrilled to invite a couple more truly astonishing humans onto the show. Last week, you got to hear my conversation with one of my favorite authors, Angie Thomas. If you haven't heard that episode yet, make sure to check it out as soon as you're finished with this one. And this week, you'll get to hear my conversation with actor and activist Coleman Domingo. Coleman is a multi-award nominated and multi-award winning actor, playwright, and director. He is probably best known for his amazing roles in Euphoria and Fear the Walking Dead, but he has also embodied amazing characters in films like Selma, If Beale Street Could Talk, and most recently, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Side note, this was actually Boseman's last film before he passed away. May he rest in peace. It was a truly incredible film. Please go check it out. And make sure to check out Coleman's IMDb or Wikipedia page to see the dozens of acting credits and dozens of awards and nominations he has received. Way too many to list here. Or I can skip all the things I just told you about Coleman and just share the two words he has in his Twitter bio, joyful disruptor. During our conversation, we talk about his upbringing, what it means to be a joyful disruptor, what this last year has meant to him, and why this latest Black Lives Matter movement is around to stay, and so much more. I'm so incredibly thrilled to know Coleman, and I'm excited to share our chat with you today. I 100% guarantee you'll be a better human after listening to our conversation. If not, you'll get your money back, I promise. Before we begin, a quick reminder that you can, anytime and for any reason, email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love hearing from you all. And now, without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with the absolutely fantastic Coleman Domingo. Let's go. It's a pleasure to have Coleman Domingo on the Let's Give a Damn podcast today. Welcome. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me, man. I'm so thrilled uh, to be speaking to you. Thanks for giving us some time today. There's so much to get into today. Um, you're a fascinating human. You've done so much incredible work. And there's just, I think, uh, right now is a a really interesting moment in uh, our country and in our world. And I believe, based on what I know about you, this, is our, you know, this is our first time talking, but based on what I know about you, uh, you're going to help us. You're going to help us become better humans today through 
the work that you've done, the things that you care about, the things that you're excited about. Um, and, and I also don't, I didn't have you on. I didn't, we didn't connect these dots because it's black history month. I never want to do that, but the, the universe sort of brought us together, your team and my team. And it just so happens that we're talking now and yeah. I'm so, so thrilled, uh, to be speaking with you. So let's Thank begin, you. let's begin with this. Uh, let's begin with just some light stuff. It's a pandemic. We're literally almost a year in, and it's been a crazy hell of a year. What's been keeping you busy during this time? How are you? Like, how are you doing? Not the usual, like, I'm okay or things are great, but like, really, like, how are things going inside of you, outside of you? You know what? I, I'm one of those people that um, just sort of can figure out um, what to do and how to swing mm. in a different direction when things aren't going well. So I've um, I adapted strangely pretty well. Like I'm a very health conscious human being. I will safety protocols, you name it. Um, and basically I learned how to adapt. I learned how to, you know, enjoy my time at home. And then when I got back to work to really be invested in that and make sure that it's a safe space and, so I've, I've stayed busy the entire time, which is why sure. people are like, oh, you know, I I did have the first couple months. Yeah, I was, you know, baking and reading and laying by the pool and all that stuff. But then I really, you know, kicked into a gear where I wanted to uh, meet the moment and, and be a part of conversations and part of change. And whether it means being on the phone with boards of directors for, you know, um, Fortune 500 country, companies, you name it, trying to, you know, work on systemic change or whether that means I was just, you know, getting back to work when I went back to work on the set of euphoria and then fear the walking dead, which I'm, I'm still shooting. And I, I just made it work. You know what I mean? I, I, I developed a television show at home, a virtual show called bottoms brunch at Coleman's. I, I, I stayed busy. I, I, I wanted to meet the moment and not suddenly just like, Oh, let's hit pause and everybody let's just wait until things normalize. I'm like, we don't know when that is. So i wanted to just engage with it. Now I have a whole, construction project happening in my yard because I'm sort of setting it up for social distancing. Cause I, th I think we're going to be in this for a while, you know, where I need to make sure that I'm a very social guy and I can have people over and make sure everybody feels safe. And I'm thinking about that stuff. Yeah. Like how, how can I still have some sense of normalcy in this moment? So I think I haven't been, you know, I've had my moments when I was blue and frustrated like everybody else, but I think that, you know, I've made sure I made sure I had very positive, um, things and, and projects and things to look forward to, like running and going on hikes. I've never, I was never a hiker. Now I hike twice a week. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the way I have a social life with somebody. I grab a buddy. I'm like, Hey, let's walk and talk, you know, <laughs> you know, so all that stuff. Where did that, where did that meet the moment uh, mentality come from? Is that you, is that your parents? Where, where, where did you sort of become a meet the moment kind of person? Because there are lots of us out there. I am one of them too. I've, been busier than I've ever been in my life in yeah. the past 11 months. And it's been, it's been, uh, I mean, it's just, yeah, you, you sort of see what's happening. You don't know what's ahead, right? Cause we, you know, at first we thought this would be a few weeks, maybe a few months, right? And now we're a year in and because in other countries have beat it, we're not even close to it. I mean, if you saw the, you know, downtown Tampa last night after the Super Bowl, thousands of people out there, maskless, just spitting in each other's faces about the win. And, you know, like it's just, it's so insane how uh, backward 
we are here on certain things, right? Because we could have beat this thing by now. We could have beat it. The plan is clear. Yeah, with the the like, how to get this done is very clear, and we have examples of it in the last, you know, in New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, Taiwan, Atlantic Canada. They've all beat it for the most part. And when there's been little surges, they get it back down and it's gone again, right? Well, but, don't you know why? You know why about America, right? Well, you I have I have lots of th- <laughs> I have lots of theories. What's yeah. yours? Mine is that sense of individualism, hundred percent, that has made us who we are. But it's also the same thing that keeps us set back. Yep, everyone feel like it's my choice, it's my voice, it's my body. I do what I want, and it's not uh, a group think. And I think that I think sometimes it's okay for the group think for us all to battle something that we can't control together. That's the yep. only, that that actually makes a lot of sense. But there's that dogged, rugged individualism that we have. Um, prided ourselves on in our country i think that's the problem it's an essential problem yeah <laughs> no it's it's, it's it's in everything that we do yeah it's mm-hmm. very that that is ex- that word you just used is exactly what i've said a million times on other podcasts in conversation with people we are super fucking like just and it's and here's the thing it's a distorted version of because we talk about freedom so much in this country we're, we're one of the least free countries in the world yeah. uh i mean we literally just got out of four years of just like quasi dictatorship and and when people are so you know encumbered by income inequality and they can't get out of the holes that they're in and debt and student debt and medical debt 500,000 people going into into bankruptcy because of medical debt every single year like that's not freedom right but we but we wave this flag of freedom and we forget though that freedom doesn't mean i get to do whatever the hell i want that's not what freedom means <laughs> freedom means right. i am free to do the right thing for myself and for those around me, we fund them. I mean, but, look we're, at but, we're, but we're not taught that. No, we're I th- not. I think, I, th- I think, I think our whole, our education system, everything is about you, you, you. It's about the I, I, I. It's not about the we. I think you, when you go to countries like Japan, the, the thing that I was struck so much on my first trip to Japan was how much in the culture, it was just embedded in the culture that it's about us. Yep. And it's about having an identity that is you know, think about this. We're always so broken up as Americans. We have to be Irish American, African American, blah, blah. We're all these because that's the nature of America, which is part of its beauty, but it's also part of its tragedy. And yep. all of us, all of us, uh, all it's an essential to its essential problem as well, that we're so individualistic that it's hard for us to come together on the simplest things. That's like, I'm on this show and I was telling people like, I'm on Fear the Walking Dead and on Fear the Walking Dead, the whole point of the show yep. is that the whole point is that we're fighting this thing that's going to do what it's going to do. These walkers are constantly just going to do what they're going to do. And it's up to us as human beings to come together. And that's the problem. The problem is not the walkers. It's the people. Yep. <laughs> you know, so I examine that even in, even in my, my, my work and then examining it when it actually comes true. You're like, oh, yeah, it's human beings that are the problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally true. Absolutely true. So. Uh, we'll circle back to some of that because that's going to, I think that theme and these ideas are going to come up in several different places in our conversation. Um, but I interrupted you and went off on this tangent when I asked, where did the meet the moment, you know, Coleman come alive? Because again, I think that's important for people who give a damn, for people who want to live a meaningful life. Meeting the moment is essential because we don't know what life is going to bring. And sometimes it's going to be shitty and we can't just sit back and chill and relax through you know, these hard times, I mean, just not unlike metal, you know, we become better, the hotter things get. If we meet the moment, we become 
uh, more resilient, stronger if we meet the moment. So I'll shut up now. Where did this meet the moment sort of thing happen? Is that an adult thing, kids, family? Where did that come from? I would like to think it came from being from inner city West Philadelphia, mm. where nothing is handed to you. Mm. That you have to work for everything and you have to build anything that you want. Um, I think so. I come from very regular folks, you know, who just, you know, who who wanted us to do better than them and go to college. And and but you know, when I went to college, I paid for my college. I, I got loans and grants and and worked. You know, nothing was handed to me. I had to build this myself. I had love and encouragement and support from my mom and stepfather. And um, and I think a lot of that, I think anybody who's from Philadelphia will tell you, Philadelphia is, uh, we love to be even seen as the underdogs. You know, like, don't, don't, I know you're not checking for us, but in that, but that's part of our charm. We're like, sure. you're not thinking that we're going to survive, but we're like Rocky. We're going to, we're going to keep going. We're going to fight and we're going to find a way in. And I think that I have a lot of that in me, to be very honest. I think it's built from being from Philadelphia. I think um, I think I can always uh, look at an opportunity or look at, at a closed door as an opportunity. And I've had many closed doors. So any, any closed door, you're able to like, you know, let me just rethink. I'm still going to get in there. It's just going to take a little more time. And I may have to come through another opening that they had no idea. But I'm going to keep doing the work. Hmm. We don't give up, I think. And I think that came from my parents. I think we're very resilient people. Um, I've watched people um, overcome tremendous um, odds and systems. And I think I have that in me. And so I, I always think that, listen, I'm I'm a, I'm a African-American guy who is very proud to be a descendant of slaves because I always say that like, in order for me to be here, someone someone did it for me. Someone loved harder, someone fought harder, someone stayed the course, someone stayed alive under unimaginable rigors that were set upon them in this world. So who am I to say, I can't do it, or I can't be it, or I can't move through something? That's the thing that I've explored, even in my own life, is knowing my own history and knowing the history of, of where I come from, because I think that's essentially an American problem. We don't know our, ourselves, and that's why things happen the way they do. We have to know ourselves, and therefore, you know yourself, you got all the courage and strength and rigor to do what, whatever the hell you want, to actually care to actually give a damn, you know, <laughs> to make it meaningful, to be mindful. So I think that that's where it comes from, to be very honest. I think it's a, it's knowing yourself. I remember I went to, it just made me think of this. When I went to um, Temple University and um, hmm. I, the first time I learned about African-American history, truly, and I went to all black schools growing up, was when I got went to college and I joined the African-American Student Union. There was a lot that I didn't know, that I didn't mm. know about myself. But also, I think there's a lot that my white friends didn't know about African-Americans. So it's like there was this <laughs> disconnect because we didn't know each other and we didn't know ourselves. And so we would just educate each other on things like, hey, read this book, read read the autobiography of Malcolm X, read this. We, we would hand each other things because suddenly, especially in college, you're like, whoa, whoa, I wasn't taught anything <laughs> about who we yeah. are. And, and so I think it part of that. I think because I feel like I've always had that, um, I don't know, I, I think I love to uh, explore that, to interrogate that, that, I don't know, I, I know that that's a part that makes me feel closer to the world and closer to all the things that I'm doing, you know? It's uh, a really incredible point to know yourself and know who you are in the setting that you're in. We're very yeah. much in, we're a very uh, undereducated society, maybe more than ever. 
uh, you know, part of that is due to the fast paced nature of everything, social media. There's so many opportunities each and every day to get that serotonin hit, to get that dopamine hit, to, to get those quick fixes rather than to stop, to shut our mouths more often, to listen, to learn, to read books, like read actual books, to learn our history. Where do we come from? What are the, what are the mistakes that our, you know, forefathers and foremothers made, uh, that we should, that we should not make again, that we can, that we can prevent this time around. Right. And it's so, it's just fascinating that, um, we don't know where we come from. People don't know basic history. You know, the, uh, uh, um, so many people that marched in, you know, these, uh, that marched in, you know, on, on the sixth, the, uh, in the Capitol building, right. That, that they had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea what they were doing. They have no idea what they're standing for. The only thing that they're attached to is this charismatic, um, shitty human that got them, that kind of enthralled them with his charisma and with his, you know, with his, uh, uh, kind of vision, but they don't know what they're fighting for. They don't know. I mean, they're demanding war. I mean, how many TikToks and, you know, tweets and Facebook posts had people talking about like, let's start a war. Let's start a civil war. Like this is worth starting a war over, you know? Like, like, and, I, and, I, and I always wonder why it's funny because I think that I'm, my whole time after that, I felt kind of, you know, I was sad about it because Very. I felt like, I felt like that they had, they have no idea that they've been duped. Because I think, it, you know, it's like, I'm like, do you really think he cared about you or he cares about what you want or what you need or what's on your table or what, well, but he, he fed into something that you believe you were a part of, but, and I mean, I have, I have some friends, I have some friends who, who, who believed in him. I don't know Same. if they, and, and, and it's, and I always try, and I try to have conversations with them, not try. We did have conversations, but, you know, and I would tell them my point of view, but I'm like, you know, I, I, I think that. Uh, the thing that I saw the most is that people were like, I really thought, what was the end game? What did you actually think you were going to do after that? What Were you going to run the country? Was that, was that what was going to happen? You were going to do this thing and restore? So like, what were you going to restore? Because I'm like, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. You got to get caught up in that moving forward and 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 letting it be, be about this new world. Again, what we're talking about, how do you lean into what is inevitable? We're moving forward. We have to move forward when it comes to society, being a part of the global world, all that stuff makes sense. But if you're trying to go backwards to the fifties, the sixties, I, I, for one, not everybody's not interested in that. Yeah. I know where, I know where my people were in the fifties. I'm not interested in that. And you're not going to give me to co-sign that. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? That no. doesn't benefit. And it doesn't benefit you either no. when, at the end of the day. And I think that there's so much, hopefully that I feel like everybody's taking a pause now. They realize how much anger and awful rhetoric that was just being spewed. It's like, yeah. do you want to live with that? Do you want to live with that? Always, do you want that to be in your heart or do you want love and kindness with each other? I think you want love and kindness. Yeah. I think you want respect. I think actually you really do. You get caught up in in, in that anger and, you know, ah, I want to tear it down, you know. But at the end of the day, don't you want to love more? Don't you want to have a peaceful life? And don't you want somebody else to have a peaceful life too? You can't have that and they not have it too. <laughs> we, that, you know? that, that requires going back a few minutes, slowing down that, that, that requires, uh, having meals with, uh, people that we don't, you know, agree Absolutely. with that, that requires, Absolutely. that requires the, 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 the tearing down of metaphorical walls and gates 
and fences that we've constructed throughout our yeah. lifetimes. We're always constructing them and knocking them down, right? It's this constant up and down cycle. But more than ever, the last five years, I mean, if there was ever anyone in the history of this country to polarize people so quickly and so vehemently, it was Donald Trump. I mean, this whole notion, going back a few minutes ago, like, the 50s were not good for, you know, black people. The 50s were not good for so many. The 50s were not good for women. The 50s were not good for, for very many people. Gay people, for, it, for Muslims, it, you name it. Was, it. Yeah. It, was good for, it was good for white white landowning men, you know, in the same way that the Constitution is good for white landowning men. Who wants to go back there? But he somehow got them riled up about this make America great again notion. That, because there's, like, a, because there, there's that promise. There's that promise that they, they're on top of something. I think yeah. the moment you you divide, and you make people feel like they're better than someone or you deserve to have more than someone. Even the thing when I would hear, you know, the, some of the guys with the Capitol riots, we built this, we built this Capitol. Actually, no, you didn't actually. You know who built it? People from my descendants built yep. it. Actually, just just actually just open up a history book, uh, an, an American history book. Open up American history you didn't build anything and you, no. and you in particular didn't build anything. 100%. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you, and, and some of the people who didn't even vote, you're like, wait a minute, you didn't even vote. So wait, you didn't even do the basic thing. You, you, you can't buy How are you buying into this? You're just getting swept up in the, in the anger, in the heat of all of it. You yeah. I'm doing things that are like, it's out of control. Yeah. Yeah. So, Let's let's kind of talk for a minute about this last this past year. We're going to get into you know the latest film film that you did, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and other stuff that you've done. But let's keep going on this for a minute. Let's so this whole past year, right? Um, the whole five years have been terrible ever since he came, you know came down the the escalator in 2015, right? But uh, pretty pretty crazy, insane four years. Then uh, a pandemic hits this past year, right? Which complicates things on a variety of levels because again. You look at so many countries around the world that responded well, even in, forget how they responded to the virus, and some have beat the virus, they've crushed it, but just in how they even took care of people, right? There are countries right now that are paying people to, to stay home so they don't have to go out and spread the virus, and here we have not done any of that. I mean, working class Americans uh, have been fighting for months for a second check, right? And they finally got this check that really, I mean, anybody that needed that money, thank God I don't need that money. But like for anybody that needed the money, that money was already spent before it showed up, right? They were behind yeah. in bills. They were behind in rent. So this crazy year. And then um, late spring of last year, George Floyd uh, is publicly lynched in broad daylight for all of us to see. And obviously, uh, black people being abused by the police is not new. And I don't, I still don't know to this day, why did that one hit, right? Maybe you've got better insight into that. I've, been, I've asked that question for a year. Like this, this has happened over and over and over again. But George Floyd being brutally lynched in broad daylight for everyone to see, for the whole world to see, sparked something that we'll never return from. Again, it's tragic because that it happened. We, we, well, because we can't get rid of that image in our head. We actually saw it's it horrible. It's we horrible. Didn't, we, didn't hear, we didn't hear about it. We we didn't we we didn't hear about it or read about it. We all saw it. We all saw it actually happen in real time. And so I think that's why it hit differently. You're like, and that that's why I think the Black Lives Matter movement even hit even stronger and went and doubled down because you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And again, it's always it's, I can't even argue with anybody who's like, well, all lives matter. No, no, no we're not talking about that. I'm not saying all lives don't don't matter. I'm saying we're just saying that. Systemically, we can we can, we have evidence and receipts that Black lives don't matter. So we're just saying that Black lives matter too. 
too. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. You know, <laughs> you know and, and I think I think it just it had to hit. I think I think right now we're still in a, a place where we're, we're trying to um, dismantle um, systemic racism. I think I think it's a, this is the long game. Because people think they've been putting band-aids on it and think they put out their anti-racist statement and think they're done. No. We're, we keep we're gonna keep going. And yeah. I feel everybody's got everybody's gotta not be tired of it. The, you know what I mean? It's like don't get be so quick to just get back on social media and put a cute picture of you looking cute. I think we gotta stay the course. I mean, you need some of those too. You need some sure. light and some fun. But yeah. I'm like, yo, you gotta remember we gotta stay in this. This is the long haul. You know, because otherwise we're gonna go. We're gonna. I know already. I can tell just in some conversations that I've had with people, whether it's producers and all, they're slipping right back into the old thought. Hundred percent. They they truly are, and I'm like, oh, so you're not learning anything. You didn't learn from this moment, but you want to go to the comfort space, and you're just gonna go with old. And this is how we get caught up in it as well. We have Americans have amnesia. <laughs> because we don't want to deal with the pain and the stain of America. You, re- I mean, truly, that's exactly what it is. You know, we don't have monuments like um, Germany where it says never again. You know, we should have. I remember when I would go around. I remember I went to Petersburg, Virginia, where my parents were living, and I saw um, a place where they were uh, where they sold slaves, and I heard it was a nightclub. I was like, a nightclub. Mm. So, so is there? And there was no signs and memorial or anything like that. I was like, well, so we're just gonna forget. We're just gonna be like partying it up, <laughs> you know? Like that doesn't make sense to me at all. But um, we just have a lot of work to do. And I think Americans were just we're still such a young country. We just, we just want to party and have a good time and enjoy our lives. And that's part of it. We should do that I mean, and be hopeful. But we should also understand the work that we need to do and the work that we need to do every day. It's, yeah, it's every and and I think you know my white counterparts realize that the work has to be done every day because black people are doing it every day. Right. I I I have worked on it every day. Yeah. Why just showing up? Yeah. <laughs> so that means you have to show up different too. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's this. There's this. Uh, so let's. I was gonna go. I want to. I want to be mindful of our time here today. You you wrote this. You wrote this article uh, last. I think it was June, uh, on Deadline about George Floyd and Nat King Cole and the deep legacy that connects them both. I'd love for you to talk about that piece uh, for a little bit, because this is, you know, one of my questions was going to be, how are you feeling in those days after that? Like as a black man living in America, how are you feeling that? And I think some of that comes through in this article, right? Uh, You drawing these parallels and these connections. Uh, I want to read one paragraph and then I want to turn it over to you to to yeah just share how you were you know about this article as well because I, i'm going to link to it in the show notes i want everybody to go read it but you wrote in there it isn't be it isn't easy to live in this brown body i am talking to all my friends and colleagues to say yes this is a problem it has always been here i have never had the privilege to think otherwise this world has repeatedly shown me you might think that when one is a public person that it cancels out my fear my black friends know better Everyone is overdue to stand up for what is right. Use your voices to say loudly that black lives matter. No one who loves me can sit this one out. The price will be heavy for our future if we do. To my cast, crews, producers, production companies, etc. you can't look away anymore. I won't let you. So I think that's a little bit of what you're feeling, you know, in those in those days after. But tell us about that article, you know, the response to it maybe online, what people were saying in return, hopefully 
I, I hope that it was mostly positive and affirming. But yeah, how were you in those days uh, uh, after the the public lynching of George Floyd and kind of kind of uh, blend in some of this article as well? Well, I was um, not only particularly rattled by the George Floyd moment, but also of uh, what is her name? That woman in Central Park. Taylor. Oh no, no, yes, no. yes, the the yes. God, what was her I can't name? even think of her name anymore. My, 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 I don't know what what that, what that was, was her har- name? that was harassing the bird watcher. Um, yeah, exactly. My so brain is I fried was, too. I can't remember yeah, his exactly. name either. So, yeah, I, so I was com- particularly rattled by that, even more so. I understood that my my brain could understand what what going on with George Floyd because it's been happening over and over again, but that moment really took me out because I thought I know these women. I know these women and men who, on a good day, you you know they have black friends. You know that they have that they're the good people. They're well, I probably, we probably vote the same way. You name it. But there was something in her in that moment that called on something in the system that she understood her place in it. And in that moment, she called on it, which, which could have been the death of this man mm. because she wasn't getting her way. Mm. Or yeah, in some way, and that's the thing that 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 really laid me out. I really felt like for a couple of nights I couldn't sleep, and I was so upset about it. And I talked to my my white girlfriends about it and stuff like that, and we would just have to really unpack this stuff. Um, and I just thought, man, this is a. She didn't even know that she had this problem, and I, I not that I, I didn't feel sorry for her, but I was like, God damn, you could have killed this man. Yeah, because you you knew the system, you knew your power as a white woman in this country, and that hurt even more. And so I was called on to, I think I wrote something, or I, I started writing something. I think I wrote it and just I don't know, I don't even know how it came about, but my um, my publicist somehow got it to deadline, and it was something I wanted to write for the industry as well mm-hmm. because I thought all this silence, there was still so much silence, and people feeling like I don't know what to do. Well, neither do I. But you got to do something, you know what I mean? And you got to say something. And I thought that there was a lot of people being silent, whether it was on social media, they're protecting their money, they're protecting their institution or whatever. And I said, I'm not having it. I'm not having it at all. If you expect me to show up with as much kindness and love and support that I always do and that I'm very conscious of, but I feel like I can't meet you in the eye anymore because I know that you're not team me i'm team you but you're also team you (laughs) you know what i mean so i thought that this was something i had to write and um and call out my colleagues and uh it was met with so much support by everyone in the industry from executives producers um transportation people everyone they were passing it around all over which has been which was great it's funny it just made me think i should probably put that out again because i'm like people forget because you almost have yeah. to like, hey, I want you to think about it one more time. <laughs> that, that 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 American amnesia, exactly. We forget. Yeah, I'm so like, hey, it's, it's like, hey, remember this? I want you to keep doing it. I want you to stay in it with me. So I wrote that from a place um, because I knew that, like, I, I had a, a a musical that I wrote about Nat King Cole a few years ago, right. and I deconstructed Nat King Cole because I thought there's nobody who can walk around with that much grace. You can't take the high road. You can't go high all the time. Right. You know, I, I was like, there's gotta be some rage in there. There's gotta be, I mean, there's gotta be some fire in that fuel that keeps you going and doing your thing. Because I'm like, I know as an artist in this industry, 
every day is a choice. I have a choice to either burn it all down or I have a choice to approach it with grace and understanding. I have that choice, truly, because yeah, there's a lot, I have a lot of rage. I do, but I think the way I find, I make it useful is with grace and understanding and love and care and pouring more into that. But I also, I wanted to examine like Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole has some Malcolm X in him. Mm. Of course he does. Mm. Of course he does. Well, of course, yeah. I was like, don't think of him just being, you know, I, I wanted to read, I, I was up to look just to compare them. I'm like, no, they're, we're all alike because we're black men in this country. And so we have all of the same thing. We're just making choices on how to maneuver through, manipulate, work the system, make it work out for us at the end of the day so we can have what we need for our families and to take care of each our, our what we need to. So I think that, you know, I wanted, that was a, just an examination of like what I see as an artist in this industry. And I wanted it to be out there in the world and for people to make a choice and to let them know you being silent does nothing for me. And if you say that you are my friend, my colleague, you love me, oh, Coleman, we love you, shaking hands and oh, Coleman, 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 don't give me that bullshit. Mm-hmm. I want, you, I want you to, I want you to really stand by it, and 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 you got to put your ass on the line, because I know that I put my my ass on the line every day. I'm I'm always the one that speaks up. Yeah, and at, at times that you know that's a lonely space. Sometimes you're like, does anybody else not not want to speak up for what's right for not only me but for you as well. Or do we just want to sit by and sit idly by and just deal with, you know, not say anything because we're afraid of losing what little that we have? I'm not interested in that. Maybe it's also because I'm older, too. I'm 51 years old. I, I start to give less fucks. <laughs> well, that, that that makes sense to me because you you've been living in, you know, you've been living in a brown body since you forever since you were born. So you've yes. been you've been dealing with this for 51 years. And I and and it wasn't until. It wasn't until last year that the most amount of people gave a shit about this, right? And so, yeah, because you're like, so, you're, you're like, I've been tired for years. You're now tired. Oh, great. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And just her name was Amy Cooper, and he was Christian Cooper. I, I that's just, right. Ju- that's right. Just looked it I up. I think. Yeah. I think. I think we blocked it out because it was so. Yeah. Um, no, totally. Crazy. I mean, it's. Yeah. It, I'm glad you brought that up because people focus on George Floyd, and obviously, again, tragic. That's happening. Uh, you know, that's happening. I, 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 I get sick to my stomach thinking about how many times that happens that we don't hear about. Right. But the, but the Amy Cooper one was truly, I mean, it was truly just, just, just appalling in every single way that, I mean, the video was so, I mean, literally it was just one of the most, it was one of the most gut wrenching things to ever watch because we know, as you stated, that that could have resulted in his death for what? Yeah. For fucking bird watching and asking Absolutely. her to have some decency and put her dog on a lead. Like this is the simplest human interaction. This should not result in this. And she took it to she took it from a, you know from a one to a hundred so quickly. And again, it wasn't it wasn't innocent. It could have resulted in his death. So I'm 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 really glad you wrote that piece. Um, you Thank know you. for for so many reasons. Again, we'll we'll link it. We'll link it below. And I'm really glad that you called out, you you pointed out that it was specific. It was for everybody. Everybody has something to learn there, but it was specifically for your industry, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I asked, I had uh, Matthew McConaughey on back in November when his book came out and I asked him this, I said, you know, what is the role in, in the entertainment space? What is the role now, now that things are so out there, things are so, 
you know, the conversations were happening every day, whether it's pandemic or Black Lives Matter or the, the environment, climate crisis, all those things. Like, what is the role of entertainment in that? Because we people use entertainment to sort of escape all the shit that's going on, right? Yeah. You know, we, we want to sit down and just watch, you know, an episode of New Girl or The Office or whatever. You know, it's just like, I, I'm so tired. Let me watch this. But also, art and entertainment has the ability to move people to action, right? I mean, it's one of the most, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big, I don't watch a ton, ton of movies or TV, but I listen to a lot of music and I listen to a lot of, uh, classical music. I love Broadway shows. I love opera. I love these, these sort of like these, uh, higher art sort of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. forms, but I also love, I mean, hip hop is one of my favorite genres. Hip hop is incredible storytelling, right? And so art has this ability to, so anyway, I was asking Matthew about that. I wasn't actually super satisfied with his answer because his answer was at the end of the day. And I understand it as an entertainer. This is also a thing is it because I asked him like, what is the role? Should, should there be more films about the issues of the day? Should we make more art around these things? And he was like, well, yeah, maybe it's, I'm dumbing it down. I love, I love Matthew. It was a wonderful conversation, but it was essentially like, it's not a charity, like entertainment's not a charity movies and like the films are not a charity. So they have to make money at the end of the day. And, and ultimately like the, you know, these issues talking about them doesn't make, you know, as much money as making films about whatever else, you know, what is your thought on that? As you write this piece to your, to your industry, which is, you know, which is TV, film stage, right? You, you're, you're have a prolific, you know, sort of broad, uh, you know, art background, uh, what is your response to that? If I was to say, you know, what is the role of, you know, people in the film industry, the TV industry, the, you know, on stage, live theater, uh, painting, making music, whatever it is, like, how do you balance making stuff that people can just purely enjoy versus making stuff that, that is also enjoyable in a, in a, in a way like get out from Jordan Peele, right? That was a great film, yeah. but it also punched you in the face with all of these issues, right? So what's what's the role there in your opinion? Well, this is gonna be, um, I'm gonna loop around with some answers. I think, sure, go for it. With this, because it's a lot. It's unpacking a lot. But I think you can do both. <laughs> I just think you can do both, plain yeah. and simple. I think as artists, as storytellers, television, film, and stage, we have the biggest microphones. Mm -hmm. So if people think that it's not our responsibility, I know I've heard I've heard one colleague say, you know, it's, you know, liberal Hollywood and all that. Yeah, Hollywood's a liberal and you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what <laughs> because that's what our jobs are is to sort of the way we come together and try to tell each other stories and be responsible to one another. That's a good thing. And I think that, <laughs> I think that we truly have to um, I don't know. I think that it is our responsibility because we have the biggest microphones mm -hmm. to be a part of the conversation, a part of change, systemic change. That's just a part of it. I've never loved things that were just entertaining for entertainment's sake. Usually I think that something, they, everything has a huge existential problem or something that relates to everyone at its core. It should, like mm -hmm. the Wizard of Oz. Yep. The Wizard of Oz appeals to everybody because mm -hmm. it's about home. Who's not looking for home? Who doesn't want home? Who's not trying to find themselves and, and redefine themselves? It's essential. So I think that there's a way to always do it. I don't, I've never think I never love work that is like beating you over the head with a issue. Here's the issue. Here's the moment. 
uh, please, even in the work that I've been a part of, I'm always seeking to humanize people and take them out of a history book or just a, a bigger issue of being like, remember when we did the movie Selma and I got a chance to meet with wonderful legends like C.T. Vivian and, yep. and um, Andrew Young and um, John Lewis. And the first things that I would ask them um, when we had a moment, when we had audience with them was what did Ralph Abernathy like to eat? Mm. Um, what, what was his personality like? I wanted to humanize them because I feel like that, and I know that Ava, that was that was very interesting for her to make these people so uh, human and interesting and complex. So it's not just about the issues of the day. Yeah, Selma is definitely about like a slice of life in the moment of uh, Martin Luther King getting the Voters uh, Voting Rights Act passed. But it's about so much more. So I think you can do both, actually. I think that it doesn't have to just be message. I don't like things that are like beating me with a message. I walk away from it. Um, usually you can, you can see that very quickly. You're like, isn't anyone interested in humanizing these people and these issues? And because I'm like, not everyone's, I feel like even with something very strong, like, um, I don't even want to say, I, I, I won't name a film, but like, just say that like, you know that there's a, a, a central problem and they're fighting for this issue systemically or whatever, but people laughed, people right. had fun. People fucked around with each other. People had sex. People had mishaps and were clunky yeah. and weird. That's interesting. So I think there's a way to do both. And I think that I'm, um, I don't know. I th- I, that's why I think it's a responsibility to do both. You can, have, you, you, can have your, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can. I love that response. I, and, and I'm, I'm actually coming back to that a little bit. I, I've always been not a, I'm, I think I'm an interesting person. I've traveled the world. I've done a lot of cool shit, but I, I, I tend to, in my own when it's just me, I do boring old man stuff. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I listen to music. I smoke a pipe, smoke a cigar. I watch a documentary, you know, like I, like I do, I do boring. We should stuff. hang out. That's me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I do at home. I'm, I sit here, I sip some scotch. I'm watching a doc. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I'm in my house shoes. I'm going in the garden. And, <laughs> and, 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 and if I watch something that is purely like pleasure with nothing beyond it. Right. Uh, these like, again, like a sitcom or whatever, like I always feel like shit afterward. But when they, but when it's a film or when it's a when it's a piece of art that does both, I think that's the secret. That is the secret sauce: is making something that people want to watch, want to take in, want to hear, want to enjoy. But also at the end, there's a call to action. At the end, whether it's an explicit call to action, you're like, oh, I need to do something because of this. And you've been a part of projects that have done that, right? Lincoln and Selma, and yeah. you know, in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and other things. Even, I think, even Fear of the Walking Dead has. You brought up that like whole community, like uh, uh, you know, the sense of community and stuff. Like even that is an important piece of that film, right? Like if we don't stick together, yeah. we're all gonna die, right? And so yeah. I, I agree with you, and I'm, I'm getting better at figuring out how to uh you know come back to the middle and not not be that like boring old guy that's always like stop watching tv and like make something right Right. and also realizing that like art art can move us art can like art can uh art can start a movement right yeah films can start a movement um on that note let's talk about ma rainey's black bottom i just watched it last evening which was originally a you know a play from 1984 how did mm-hmm. you, before, I want you to sort of explain the film in your words. We'll talk about some of the character development. I mean, just to, I mean, I was glued to the, you know, glued to my laptop screen. Just some really interesting dialogue, some interesting storytelling. Obviously, you know, uh, I mean, 
Ma Rainey was kind of d described as the, you know, the mother of the, the blues, right? Like just an important figure in history that most people don't know about. Um, how did you get involved in the film? Obviously some very legendary people that are, you know, working alongside you, you know, Denzel Washington produced it, uh, Viola Davis. This was Chadwick Boseman's last film, which I'm sure feels weird. Uh, and also very honoring for you to be part of, right? So tell me about how you, you got involved and tell us about the film because I think it's, I mean, it's just truly a fantastic film that again, I think does what you just described. It's the both and, right? That is most of life. Like most of, like the most, the best people I know are those that can live in the both and, right? So tell yeah. us about the film. Well, the film is, um, it's written by August Wilson and uh, the uh, screen adaptation by Ruben Santiago Hudson who is um, a Wilsonian. He is someone who is a great keeper of August Wilson's work. Um, August Wilson wrote this play, what, 1984 premiered? And um, this is a screen adaptation. And it is about Ma Rainey, takes place 1927, Chicago. Ma Rainey, openly bisexual, um, mother of the blues, is going to record an album in Chicago. She brings her band along with her. And we're just trying to get through this one day, but everyone's coming in with their own powder kegs of, of representation, uh, demanding agency. Um, everyone's coming in with their own things. And it's really just like really an examination of um, the blues and black people in America and listening to what we're struggling with, what we want. And what is, even, what is underneath this music that we have provided to America? What goes into it? What do we take out of it? I think it's many things, um, but it really is essentially about uh, African-Americans in America. And it stars Viola Davis, Chadwick Boseman, myself, uh, Michael Potts, Glenn Turman, Taylor Page, Johnny Coyne, and Jeremy Shamos and Dusan Brown. So it's a really tight ensemble and it really takes place in really two spaces, really. It really takes place in the, in the band room in the recording mm -hmm. session. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got involved, I got this fantastic offer um, I just, I was coming off of um, a press tour and my agency managers were actually with me and they just, um, they said, you, we just got an offer for you to play Cutler in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm. You know, they first started with Denzel Washington's producing and Todd Black and, and the great uh, Broadway uh, writer, director, George C. Wolfe is directing and then Viola Davis is starring and Chadwick Boseman. I was like, wait, that's you're, enough. That's enough. You're like, I, you I know you know, I'm doing it. I'm like, yeah. I don't, they do it. They, they can offer me $5. I'm doing it. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just wanted to be in that room. I wanted to be in that room with these artists that I truly admire and respect. And then we, it's all mutual. We all just have, there was a love fest for each other and the way we all worked. And so we just, we had a, the time of our lives shooting this in Pittsburgh over six weeks. And we, um, we rehearsed it for two weeks, which is rare for any of any film. We actually had a chance to really um, deconstruct the language and rehearse it and stage it and all that good stuff that you wish you could do. And but we actually got a chance to do it, so it made it, it made us very close, and that really helped us uh, really do the work. Viola Davis is uh, one of my favorite humans, and she does an incredible job as Ma Rainey. Uh, yeah, and Glenn Turman, uh, legend, just a true, true legend. And I, I loved. I'll say though, and I'm not just saying that because we're talking. Uh, your role as Cutler and then your interactions with Levy, uh, Chadwick Boseman's character, were very powerful to me. Um, 
Thank you. It, it was very clear that you were the sort of like the band leader and you were sort of, you know, you were, there was all these different relational dynamics in the room with you in the band, right? When all the scenes that took place in the band rehearsal room, probably the most impactful scene for me was when you all were teasing Levy about uh, sort of kowtowing to the, 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 the white man, the, the, yeah, the white, <laughs> the, the white man, the studio owner, the studio manager. And then he, you know, you can see tension is building between all of you. And, you know, he's obviously this very like erratic, um, passionate, you know, young man. And he shares this story about, you know, he shares why, like, why is he kowtowing to the white man? And he, you know, he talks about his, his mom being raped by a gang of white men and his dad, you know, doing that whole kowtowing thing with the goal of like ultimately taking over, right? Like he, yeah. he was doing that with the goal in mind and, and Chadwick Levy was explaining how what, that's what he was doing. Like he, he's doing this now so he could take over later. Just a really impactful, you know, sort of film. How true to the actual, because again, I, I, I admittedly have not, you know, read deeply into Ma Rainey's story. I'm going to after seeing the film for sure. But like how true to what actually happened in what was it, 1920s, right? Like yeah. in, in that studio, because there, I mean, 1920 America for, uh, you know, a black blues singer and a black band was not a friendly place. So but, how, as far as you know, how true is all of that dialogue and all of those stories to what actually happened? To that event, it is, it is a work of fiction, but it did happen. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But these are the arguments and the conversations between African-Americans and about these stories come from somewhere. August Wilson created this. It is a work of theater. It is a work of a dramatic art, but it is true. Yeah. So was it that exact moment? No. Was there an exact levy? No. He's based on someone. Was there a cutler? No. But there was he was based on someone in these um, conversations that, uh, that August Wilson has listen to um he's very much um an archivist truly and i think that's what any really great uh literary person does they take all these stories and they put it into conflict with each other so yes it's true yet it's fiction <laughs> i want everybody to watch this film um it's truly truly fantastic last year you created the coleman domingo award which was uh an award that would identify different you know, black men and give them money and studio space and mentoring and other support. Uh, yeah. Why, why did you do that? What was going on? Again, this is all happened. This is all last year. So it's happening all, you know, in those few months surrounding George Floyd, just briefly, because I, I have a few other things sure. I want to talk about before we end, sure. like, but, but I, but I wanted to touch on it because that award is so, it's so powerful uh, just to even picture that it represents and what's going to happen as a result of you implementing this award. What, what's going on there? You know, man, I started, I, we, the funny thing is a year before the George Floyd situation happened, um, the Vineyard Theater uh, wanted to honor me for my 30 years of work in the industry. So with that, I just thought it's a great opportunity to actually invite these lovely board members and financiers, you name it, to underwrite an award for another, I have had many successes, so therefore it's nice to invest in the future. So I thought, yeah, we should be an award established for an African-American male or male identified person to have money, mentorship, studio space, you name it, because there weren't any awards out there. Mm. And I knew that that would, that would enable 
that that's a part of doing the systemic work. You're like, we need to make sure that there's yep. opportunities for people who don't have it, who don't have access, people who are just on the fringe, who just need a little push. And I know they can have a push with my name behind them and some funds and some mentorship and in association with the uh, off-Broadway theater, like the Vineyard Theater. Yeah, man, that's why. I love it. How, how has it been so far? Because it's been a while. Super since well, you're... man. It's great. been great, man. We Our first uh, recipient was this guy, York Walker, who's awesome. And we're about to choose our next recipient. And we're just going to keep going. And Amazing. I hope to keep establishing more. Because I, I, I think that's just what we have to do. There's not there's not many <laughs> grants and uh, awards and opportunities for African-American men. And that's a problem. And I thought it had to start from an African-American man. <laughs> you know it. what I mean? I love so it. Hopefully so I inspire my, I hopefully I inspire my colleagues to put awards in their names as well. Yeah. It's such a simple way to have such a tremendous impact. I love it. Yes. So yeah. in your Twitter bio, you have two words describing, ah! you could, you know, you could put your, you could put your, your accolades, your awards, your this and that and the other. And you just have two words, joyful disruptor. Why? <laughs> because that's exactly what i am i oh. think i'm i'm um i used to have on there the black willy wonka <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> because I'm, I'm trying to have joy in this life and, and i'm trying to, and my whole experience is about joy and connecting connecting people but it's also about you can do it in a brilliant way and to disrupt the systems you know i've always i've disrupted every system just by being in it i'm i'm a multi-hyphenate to the nth degree and that took a lot of courage, you know, to, to do that and to be that because systems aren't set up for you to do that. So I like to come in know, knowing that I'm the disruptor at the table. Yeah, you didn't think I'd be here. I'm going to disrupt this whole thing. You think we're going to go and do this? Now we're going to do it a whole different way. We're going to do it in a way that's actually joyful and with a, a bit more agency for everyone, a bit more kindness, a bit more love, a bit more, um, I don't know. I think going to our higher selves, I think that's what a joyful disruptor is, you know, and that's why who cares about my awards? Who cares about what I've done? I see that on other people's bios. I'm like, that's fine. If you want, if, if you need that for me, I don't need that. I'm like, if you find out that I do all this stuff, that's really cool or not. But hopefully I want you to just see me as a human and see mm. me as a, a joyful disruptor. I don't need you to see my body of work right there. I don't need you to see my awards. I just, I just don't. I've never been that way because I'm like, I can't live with that. I can't, I can't create from that space. I only can only create from that space of feeling like I have something to attain and strive towards and something that I don't have. But otherwise, if I'm relying on, look how awarded I am, that that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't, because then it keeps, it has a set of disadvantage. You don't just see me as a person. You're looking at all this other stuff that's leading. And I'm like, dude, I'm just Coleman. And the, the, the joyful disruptor thing is your why. It's so, you know, it's such an empty pursuit to pursue. I say this as some, as someone that doesn't have a tons, tons of awards and accolades at this point in my life, but I think it's true. I mean, we can observe the people that really use that as their identity. You know, the, the first thing they talk about is all the shit that they've done. That is such an empty pursuit. And these awards they're I mean, they're made out of, they're made out of, you know, materials that we, we, we use in everyday household items, right? These are just, yeah. it's all, I mean, it's a, it, like very practically, very carnally. I mean, it's it's just a ginormous circle jerk. If we're just like talking about these, like if Dude, we're just anytime if, I see anytime I see on someone's like, I, I, it's just not my style. No, I see, like I have I have awards and they're here in my office, hidden. They're nowhere else in my house yeah. or anywhere else. They're in here. So if you get to my office, they're here because yeah, they're, they're lovely things. 
but I'm not going to sit here in front of my awards. Right. And let you know, this is who I am. I'm like, no, no, man, that's fine. This is who I am. Well, I want to join you in being a uh, joyful disruptor for sure. I mean, I'm already, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're doing good, man. So I I want to bring things full circle for a second. So you're, you said you're from West Philadelphia, but uh, your father's from Belize and it's from a Guatemalan family. So tell me quickly about your family makeup because we share that. My dad is Guatemalan, came here as an immigrant. And so I am of Guatemalan descent. That's really my, like my, I'm, I'm Guatemalan Italian. My mom is Italian. I've got tons of, I've got tons of, you know, uh, family in Europe still. But the one that I really identify with, and so part of my story is that when I was younger, we moved back to Guatemala for 10 years. So I, I was there from, you know, nine. Where, where, where at? What city? Where? I was in Guatemala City. Uh, in Guatemala? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. So I, I and, and that's where, I mean, I was there from 10 to 20, 10 to 19. I mean, the most formidable years, right? That's like puberty yeah. and all the figuring shit out and figuring out who I am. And it's a fundamental part of my uh, uh, makeup to identify myself as the son of an immigrant because I, 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 I know the struggles that he went through as a kid coming here and then we left again and then trying to come back, come, come back and reassimilate. It's been a crazy journey. So tell me about what it My means family. to be the son. Yeah. Your family and the son of, uh, you know, immigrants, man, it, it's, um, I think I have to unpack both sides of my family too, because my mom, our family, they're from the South, you know, from Georgia and Alabama. Mm. And, but she was raised in Philadelphia. And then my dad, I've done a whole lot of even more research on my dad. His family always, always knew him growing up in Belize. He grew up in Belize and he was like, told me how he used to be British Honduras. Grandma came from Guatemala. His father came from uh, Spanish Honduras. Mm-hmm but then was raised in British Honduras. And then my grandfather was part of the British Honduras forestry unit. I just found this. I just found out over the summer too. Well, huh. while, while everything, while we're doing all the stuff that we're doing in the streets and everything, I was also doing an ancestry project where I found out, I found out more about my grandfather from my aunt, my aunt Seferina, who lives in um, uh, near Riverside. That she was telling me more and more because I was getting more in touch with my Belize roots as well and my grand my grandmother and all that and her family just getting more of like in the mix of who we are because we look like everything right <laughs> you know right. On, that, on that side of the family it's like dark dark light skin you know spanish looking possibly even asian looking native looking we look like everything on that side yeah and so i had so many questions about it and i found out i i, I want to get in touch i want to actually go to scott i need to go to scotland I'll just say that this is going around in my way. I need to go to Scotland because I found out that my grandfather died in Scotland in 1945 when wow. he was part of the British Honduras forestry unit. He went wow. away to uh, to make some money, take care of his family, of course. My dad was three years old and he went there and suffered an aneurysm and was never came back and was mm. buried. And I know exactly I found this plot. I found the last hostel he was living in. But it was this whole thing of how like the British Honduras Forestry Unit was going to um, to Scotland to uh, cut down mahogany during the war. There was a whole, and so it's this beautiful images, a few, a few beautiful images I found online of these dudes that look like everything. You know, mm. look like, oh my, oh, I recognize that. That's mm. who we are down there in the mix of these people. And 
he never came back. So that's my first trip. That it, what's going to happen? I need to go visit my grandfather, who was also he was named Richard Coleman Domingo. So my family, they when I tell you, if you if you know L.A. County in particular, they yep. they have a great Belize grouping of people. The people from Guatemala, I think my aunt, she toggles between them all. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? But but I feel like you know we share you know just culturally food and and spirit and community, which is very very strong. And so I, I, I please, I feel very blessed that I come from people who I know worked hard to be here and to be a part of America and to give to America. My dad came here as um, he was actually a, 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 a pastor. He was a young pastor and he came through Miami in 1960. And, and he, he came through, eventually met my mother. Um, at a church, he was a visiting pastor, and my mother was the daughter of a pastor, and uh, and they uh, they produced three children, and my dad was always a man who had many hustles, many jobs, you know, <laughs> like he was a carpenter, he was a builder. My dad was a builder in many ways. He built many places, churches, you name it, in Philadelphia area, and he was. Um, but he also he brought with him all his Central American heritage. He always wore like white. And always had yeah. flashy cars. Yep. He was just a cool dude. Hats, everything about him. Was, and he, of course, his accent made him a Lothario, which is, you know, he was, he cheated on my mother a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> basically, basically. But also, um, apparently that's as um, systemic of, um, of uh, Central American men. <laughs> that's what my um, aunt would say. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, have, Having lived in Guatemala for ten years, that is truly a one of the, one of the unfortunate hallmarks of the Latino culture. Is God. exactly it. She was like, "Yeah, that's a Belize man." That's my a, dad. My dad man. was uh, also a pastor, um, what, and, and a missionary for uh, up until about ten years ago. So from for, oh my God. for for like twenty years, that's what he did. And um, I have a few more siblings. I'm one of twelve kids. My my parents had twelve kids. So together, um, together, together, together. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah, 12... my dad had many kids outside of our <laughs> outside. family. He had, <laughs> he had the, the <laughs> yeah. smattering all over the place. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. thanks for sharing more about your family. I, I, yeah, we have that connection there. My parents also yeah. lived in, after I left home and I traveled the world for a few years after leaving home before settling down and settling down is very relative because we just have been on the move constantly, even as a family, but they moved to Honduras for five years. So they went from Guatemala wow. 10 years to Honduras for five years um, and I, I visited there many times. I love Guatemala. I love Honduras. I wish, yeah. you know what? Oddly enough, I've never actually been to, I mean, Belize is our neighbor in Guatemala. Yeah. I, I never made it up there and I still need to, because I've heard so many great things about that small, but, uh, beautiful place. So maybe someday, yeah. maybe That'd someday. Cool, Coleman, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Your work is incredible. Your spirit is incredible. Uh, we, I echo you in wanting to be a joyful disruptor. I hope so many people listening also want to be joyful disruptors. And um, thank you for the time. We'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate you. That was great. Thank you. Dearest friends and damn givers, thank you so much for joining Coleman and me today. Please go watch Coleman's latest film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Such a fantastic film. It's on Netflix now. And please visit letsgiveadam.com to learn about all things Let's Give a Damn. I'm so grateful you showed up to listen today. Thank you for being here. If you like what we're doing, 
Share this episode with a friend. That would mean the world to me. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Again, I love hearing from you. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.